Doctor Sean Bean, and you're listening to Trope Stormers, you bastards. Hello and welcome to another edition of Trope Stormers, your guide through the murky world of tropes in the media. I am Chris Jeeves, and I am with Mr. Jim Carlberg. How are you doing, sir? Hello, sir. Splendidly. Yeah. So I'm trying to evoke my inner Brit today. You're hamming um, it up. Hamming it up in honor of what we're talking about. It's good to be back. It's good to be here. And we're going to talk some more tropes in movies. Yes, indeedy, good sir. Do we do we need at this stage to go into what the whole trope jazz is about, or do we think? Uh... Like, we'll always have a new example, won't we? I suppose every story usually has a has a hero, right? and a villain protagonist antagonist and in recent years um there's been a big focus on on the anti-hero somebody we root for although they're not necessarily the good guy or they do good things so i mean that's a key example of a trope in action it's like a character type that you see throughout lots of different things so for instance we talked about mario um he obviously has a an, an evil version of himself warrior uh Wario, indeed. Yeah, I found out an amazing fact about um, his uh, his evil brother, mine, the other day. Right. Not Luigi. Um, according, yeah, not Luigi. There's one called Waluigi. Um, apparently, he's not really his brother. He was an actor hired for Mario Smash Tennis, and he was actually an actor called Jimmy Papadopoulos. Right. How, I, I don't think that makes the, the trope explanation any clearer. So let's let's. I think we meandered a little bit there. Little bit. Yeah, that, that tends to happen. Um, but bottom line, Waluigi, Jimmy Papadopoulos, Wario, whatever you want to call him, he's not the good guy, but sometimes we root for him and sometimes he's featured in things. Other examples, sticking to video games. Are you familiar with the God of War series, Chris? I'm not really a, a video games kind of a man. We've discussed this previously. I'm very much still rooted in the uh, classic 90s platform left to right and jump on stuff um in god of war you've got kratos a spartan who kills the gods of olympus and becomes the god of war himself so he's not the good guy but we root for him all the same so but we've got a job to do haven't we chris we have and we do it to the best of our ability we are looking at tropes in various media and we are having to assess for our general listening public's pleasure using our highly unscientific scoring system, whether these films are eutropian or dystropian. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a straight best of four, and if we have a draw, we don't believe in draws, so it goes to a sudden death fifth trope. That's just how we roll. Indeed, indeed. And it's an interesting one that we've got to look at today. Uh, we talked about time travel in our recent storm in a tea break. Yep. Might cover some much needed uh, time travel ground uh, before you embark on films like this. Although this one's a little bit different from your, your sort of science fiction time travel affair. Yes. So uh, in the in the year of our Lord 2013, uh, Richard Curtis, a director best known for a slew of kind of British rom-coms. Uh, he's credited as director of Love Actually and The Boat That Rocked. And I didn't realize that's where his directorial chops end until About Time came along. Uh, but he was actually a producer of Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, the vicar of Dibley, and then was a writer on a whole bunch of classic 80s comedy, including... Blackadder, Spitting Image, and Not the Nine O'Clock News. Nightingale is one of his, right? 
Well, Four Weddings um, and Notting Hill, he was a writer. He was producer on Four Weddings as well, but he didn't direct on it, which I think is like a commonly held misconception. Kind of like everyone thinks that Tim Burton directed Nightmare Before Christmas, but he actually didn't. He had very little to do with it. It was uh, based on the imagination of Tim Burton. Made it onto the movie poster, though. Yeah, easy money. We are doing 2013's About Time. Typical Richard Curtis, Middle England, jolly hockey sticks endeavour. Got a pun in the title, so I'm on board already. Quite a British, like, I would read About about Time. Like, what, what, pip, pip, jolly-o. It's just missing the bloody in the middle, or ruddy, if we're going to be a bit less uh, profane about things. I'm gonna I'm gonna go down one of our first tangent rabbit holes of the uh, of the pod. There will be others, I promise. I watched Independence Day recently, having not seen it in quite a few years, and it's it's definitely something I think we could do the great justice on this podcast. But there is a bit when they uh, they do cutaways around the world, and the racial stereotypes are outrageous. The British. <laughs> are so British. They might as well be like eating strawberries and cream, drinking pims, uh, playing cricket in some nice little village fate with uh, a tombola and uh, spitflies flying over. It's ridiculous. Vivid Daily Mail imagery there for you <laughs> um, And one of the characters, when it's sort of, they get like a radio transmission in to say that the Americans have like cracked it and uh, one guy, and he's got like a proper like Lord Kitchener moustache and everything. And he goes, well, it's about time. So that is my... <laughs> My absolute meandering rabbit hole, and I'm sure the payoff was worth it. Well, it's actually not a bad segue into our first trope, to be honest. I mean, what? I mean, before we go into that, and it's kind of covered in what we what we'll talk about. But the the film itself, the 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 plot is both pretty simple and pretty complex at the same time. It's a love story essentially. Uh, it as as Richard Curtis. Uh, involvement usually is but it's kind of uh, there's kind of two love stories though it's kind of like a weird film of two parts because you've got like the initial obvious uh love story which is your very typical heteronormative boy and girl sort of setup and then i think the whole film is kind of then like grounded in this much bigger kind of paternalistic father-son bond love story so it's kind of a love story in a love story, like a Russian doll of love stories. We've got our, our central character, played by Donald Beeson. Did you pronounce that Tim, correctly? I, I, I believe. You know, I know you. I know you. You live with Irish folk. <laughs> I do uh, have ensuite Irish in my house. Yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I did consult the uh, the Irish contingent about how to pronounce his name, and I think you nailed it. Give give, give it to me one more time. Donald. Oh no, no, sorry. Donal. 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 Yeah, I kept calling him Donal. It's like Neve. How 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 Neve how Neve is spelled is one of my pet peeves. But you spell peeve differently. <laughs> Spelling based joke that doesn't work in audio format. That one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're great on visual. <laughs> visual gags are always great for radio, right? <laughs> yeah, we got we got Donal Gleeson, who is um, this. This is a bugbear of mine, actually. Um, I don't know why people do it. I mean, it, it kind of works okay with this. 
because he's Irish and he's playing a Brit and not just any old Brit, but a very standard English received pronunciation speaking properly Brit. This has definitely popped up in some of our other podcasts, but why casting people? And I understand sometimes you, you get certain actors because they're a huge box office draw and it just guarantees your income. But just when they get people who, why don't they just hire actors who are from the country they're meant to be playing? Like the worst example I can think of at this moment is in France. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Um, I, yeah, you're, you're not you're not wrong. Um, I was going to go within Fraser, where they've got the the housekeeper who's from Manchester, but it's clearly never been to Manchester or heard someone from Manchester speak. We need a working class accent. Where can we go to? Oh, we'll just do a sort of generic northern. It's like, Dick, like Dick Van Dyke playing a Cockney and Mary Poppins. A that is that is the best. How that didn't come to me sooner. Van Dyke, massive star. Get him in. And worry about the accent later. Yeah, you imagine like the casting session. So, uh, Dick, uh, got a role for you. I think you're going to be great. Can you do a London accent? Cool, blimey, governor, apples and pears. Uh, something along those lines, I suppose it would go. It's almost yeah. offensive. Yeah, it sounds like if you've got like a warped tape, like been out in the sun, been in, in a skip or some bins for years of, of an been... old EastEnders box set, pissed on by a fox. fornicated by a badger what what have you just to set the scene um and then played it on half speed that that's getting pretty close to well it's it's not even close to how bad uh dick van dyke's cockney accent is i don't don't know what planet he's on let alone what borough in london he's supposed to be from and that's, that's two tangents and uh we're barely into a podcast we're doing really well tonight It's time for Jim's first trip. So I think I think what we'll do is we'll talk about because the plot gets quite quite complicated. You've got like the simple plots with the the love story between uh, uh, the Brit the, the the Brit that we follow in uh, Tim, who is a, a lawyer, and then he meets uh, Mary, who is is pretty much the the lover of his life, as played by the lovely Rachel McAdams. Yep, she's playing uh, the uh, the little the love interest time travellers bit on the side. Like, talk about getting typecast. Very very niche typecasting as well. That um, I, you know, you don't set out to be. It's not like action hero Arnie, is it? It's uh, I'm going to be the time travel drama love interest. What, but that brings us on to my first trope, which is the the idea of the the main character, the 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 key character that we follow, who is the the time traveller. And mm-hmm. we'll come on to the time traveling in a, in a, in a minute. But he is your archetypal, stereotypical, stereotypical, received pronunciation, middle class, educated. He's from Cornwall, a big house in Cornwall. You're you, you kind of dorky or a dorkable Brit um, who is, who is you know, supposed to be the, the, the stereotype of how we, as, you know, run-of-the-mill, die-in-the-wall British blokes, are supposed to be um and i don't know how close do you feel to uh to the character of tim i mean i'm not ginger for a start and although i like to think i'm often charmingly befuddled i think it probably just like comes off as more confused and lost i do i know what you mean though like it is a very kind of curtis world as you say kind of upper middle class english stereotypes 
built around like the whole like story is built around lots of friendship and love and there's plenty of like wry and sometimes slightly sort of tongue-in-cheek rude humor and he's like the socially inhibited boy um i mean it actually plays a lot to type there's a lot of par parallels here just in the story with four weddings and a funeral you know you've got the inhibited british boy attracted to the sort of more gregarious american girl you've got like a doddery slightly weird elderly male relative in this case it's uncle bernard not really sure why he's in this or what he really brings to the table and there's always a bernard and a richard curtis um feature and then you've also got the like freaky young sister um so there's a direct parallel with four weddings there and also the kind of snarky uh acid-tongued quick-witted mother sort of character who's hooked on mainlining cups of tea you mentioned um the curtis world the idea that the, the notting hill the, the, the stuttering Brit, where a lot of the comedy uh, comes from the awkward moments. There's the famous "Whoops a Daisy" scene in um, Notting Hill. Notting Hill, and she uh, would, uh, she takes the piss out of him for saying "Whoops a Daisy." Yeah, and she's fast talking uh, Julia Roberts's character in 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 that. You know, she she says what's on her mind, whereas uh, Hugh Grant's you know far too backwards in coming forwards and 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 stuttering and stumbling over his words. A lot like I probably am now, actually. So. It is a very Richard Curtis land type that, um, that, that they're trying to evoke here, but this extra element of, yeah, but how would this character, what would this character do if he was able to, to time travel as well? And uh, you reminded me when you were talking about the Americans where he says, it's so obvious at some point, she goes, my parents are coming. And he says, parents, American parents. As, if know, what? Just to, just as opposed to, to, oh, no, uh, Zimbabwean parents or uh, <laughs> Taiwanese parents. Oh, crikey, not Peruvian parents. As if there's kind of like this uh, shared joke between the audience and the film, like a dramatic, um, dramatic irony type thing of like, oh, God, the American parents are the worst. Don't we know it? Oh, those bloody yanks. Like we were saying before, it's pretty much the opposite of Independence Day. Uh, that was a, a, a comparison I never thought we'd, we'd, we'd see, but this is what trope storming is all about. You, you end up doing these things. We've got Tim, if we focus on Tim, he is a time traveler. And on his 21st birthday, he finds out after failing to woo Margot Robbie, who he says is the love of his life early on, um, who plays Charlotte. Um, he then finds out he can travel through time. And rather than try and solve the, the, the ills of the world, he uses it to kind of better his own look with the ladies uh, and, 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 and do generally nice things uh, for, the, for the people around him. So he does quite uh, mundane things like try to get an actor to remember his lines at one point. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's one up from Berners Watch, don't get me wrong, but I mean, the sum of his ambition initially is to get a girlfriend. You know, it's a very sort of coming, age, coming of age trope, isn't it? Like when you're... A, when you're young and you, you, know, you just want to have a girlfriend and be in a relationship and you just think that everything else will just sort of fall into place if you can just sort of make that work. Because it's his dad, isn't it? His dad has like a sit down chat with him to sort of spill the beans on the fact that the lineage of men in their family can all time travel. He, he nails it first time. He Mary Sues it. Like, 
it, there's, it's like uh, there's no Neo trying to uh, run and jump between two buildings and going splat. You know, he just, yeah. he just, he just can time travel. It's a thing. Yeah, he doesn't like send his multiple limbs into different eras in in history. Uh, no, or, or we were talking about before the tape was rolling about <laughs> just suddenly appears in the middle of like a wall or something. <laughs> yeah, and and Bill Nye, I know he's a laid back. He's like the cool dad of of the piece. Um, and as you say before, he's, he's their their story is one of the, the the central pivotal love stories of the film, but. He doesn't really go into the the sort of detail of it. The devil's in the detail of these things. And I, I should imagine, you know, you don't take the, these things lightly. So, you know, just clench your fists, go in a cupboard, shut your eyes. And you, you, you travel mentally into your, your former self, clothes and all, which is, is quite an interesting concept. I suppose this is like a sort of quantum leap type travel. Minus Ziggy. Which is minus Ziggy, of course, which you, you don't, doesn't usually feature. So that brings about its own kind of ideas about where, where does in the timeline does Tim's former self exist and what, what's happening? How, how is it all changing around him as, as he does this? Because sometimes you'll go back a day. Sometimes you'll go back to a previous summer uh, and try and rectify his, his love life. And it's, um, the, the, the time travel on this is, is very sort of skipped over, isn't it, in terms of the, the, the sort of ins and outs of it so you've got your your your, your adorable brit i'm going to talk we're going to if we talk about the time travel a little bit next i think because we're kind of skirting around the edge of it at the minute we're but sort of we're sort of heading in that direction aren't we yeah there's some real ethical dilemmas and 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 decisions that you kind of as a as a member of the audience try and have to fathom and and try and think about but don't think about too much um, <laughs> Looks like it's time for Chris's first drop. I mean, you summed it up quite well um, before we started recording. Like, I just called it sort of the hokey science of time travel, but you had a, a more sort of uh, Time Lord orientated way of set, summing it up. Yeah, well, the, the, the famous line in um, Doctor Who, you Whovians out there will, will know this straight away. They're probably saying it right now. Is the, the idea of um, the wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff that, you know, anything overly complex or overly scientific that can't fit within the, the realm of the, the sort of minute or of uh, script time that they can convey the idea across, you know, without turning into a the brief history of time lecture. Um, they, they, they skirt over or they, you know, if there's a paradox involved in it, they, they basically say it's, oh, it's complicated, timey-wimey stuff. Don't get too focused on it because... There, even though it's very light touch in this film, there are rules, aren't there? There are, yeah. Bill Nighy very quickly dispenses um, with his incredibly brief introduction to time travel and time travel theory that the butterfly effect isn't really kind of a thing. It's just sort of sidestepped as, uh, you don't really need to worry about that. That's, uh, that's not going to be problematic. Which then actually doesn't turn out to be true because it does turn out to be problematic later on. Conveniently problematic for the plot of the film but then sort of overlooked in other parts of the film there's a real inconsistency to sort of like binning it off as a as a thing and then it actually becoming a thing i mean that could be like when sometimes you get the uh, inconsistent narrator um especially in like literature there's a sort of notion of 
how much do you believe what the narrator is telling you? And in some cases, the late narrator, it turns out to be lying constantly. Yeah, he's, he's by no means a scientist and he's, he's clearly found this out under his, his own steam and, and they rarely time travel together. It is kind of left up to Tim to kind of, with this sort of elevator pitch explanation of time travel, um, figure it out for, for himself and, and how he doesn't tear a hole in the space-time continuum, I don't really know because he's, 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 he's pretty like said, this, this dorky, dorky Brit who bumbles through social problems as he, uh, he goes through um, time travel ones. One other thing that Bill Nighy does sort of uh, explain is that you're only able to go back within your lifetime, so you can't go back. And I think he uses the example of you can't go back and kill Hitler. Like you're, you're constrained within your time frame. You can't go any further back than your own birth. But you can sort of back and forth between past and future within your own... Within your own timeline, timeline. yeah. Like you don't get, uh, as we touched on the bolt, you don't get constrained by your own time frame. Like you can travel into the past and then go back into the future where you've already been. And sometimes things have actually been altered in a la butterfly effect. Okay, so let's. what, what actually happens then in terms of the time travel itself we said he doesn't do anything like play the stock market a la primer or he doesn't kill hitler erase john connor from existence so what what sort of things does he try and this guy is such a, with it's such a bernard isn't he pure bernard's watch this guy he hasn't hasn't tackled any of the big stuff have some, have some scope of imagination tim for god's sake he, he he rectifies a kiss at new year's eve i think yes that's that's correct he 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 basically bottles it on uh, kissing a girl who I don't think he's really that interested in, but um, he realizes that she feels really bad because I think she'd been expecting a kiss and potentially a kiss from him on New Year's Eve. And he basically just sort of like went all shy and bottled it and sort of doubled down on being really British and awkward and, and socially awkward and clumsy. And then, yeah, he rectifies it and actually gives her a smooch. And she's kind of really pleased, but it doesn't really go much further than that. So it's kind of like a nice, nice little deed there. From there, I mean, there's the next major thing when he meets uh, Rachel McAdams' character, Mary. The next major thing of note is it, it coincides with there's another member of the cast called Harry, is a playwright who he stays with. He 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 leaves Cornwall after the summer where he's been. Yeah, Tom Holland who plays plays a really good part. As as Harry, uh, but he's he's basically the, a real the snark of the film. He just uses bad language, slags people off all the time, offends aunts at weddings, uh, swears in best man speeches. Is incredibly uh, and, miserable and bitter. Yeah, which is like, I guess is another sort of Curtis archetype in in these sorts of films. He's like an extreme version of like the flawed genius. Yeah, and and then some. So. In order to save Harry's screenwriting career or stage writing career, after this wonderful date with, with, with Mary, um, in which he really connects with her, it's your first kind of dilemma, um, the kind of ethical dilemma what, or, or time travel dilemma. What does he do? It's not a smooch going back and having a smooch this time. It's does he watch as a family friend career potentially die or they don't get their big break that they, they possibly could for the sake of an actor remembering the lines or does he pursue this woman who he believes is the love of his life uh, or potentially the love of his life because he's, he's pretty taken with her straight away isn't he 
Yeah, he goes pretty hot on her pretty hard pretty quickly. Um, but he sort of, he initially prioritizes um, trying to fix Harry's whole uh, dilemma with the actors. Two superb cameos, can we just say? I mean, we built up the cameos in our last pod about Zombieland with a certain Bill Murray. But as two little cameos go, Richard E. Grant and Richard Griffiths, the two Dickies, they are strong, strong cameos right there. It's quite an interesting thing watching a, an actor rehearse or clearly rehearse forgetting their lines. That's quite an interesting thing to watch an actor do is, is act like they can't act. It's actually, I think it's quite a skill because when you think of like, this is probably not the best example, but in Friends where Joey is like playing Dr. Drake Ramore and stuff, like I think there is, there's a skill to like act bad acting. I mean, there's obviously some people just act badly, but to actually be able to act and then portray bad acting, there's there's something in that, I think. And yeah, Richard E. Grant, great British actor as well as um, the late Richard Griffiths isn't he of Pie in the Sky fame I had to look up his name because I was just like it's a dude from Pie in the Sky well he's Mr. He's Mr. Dursley and um, he's a creepy uncle isn't he in uh, With Nail and I that's right yeah yeah and uh, the History Boys is also in as well which is, is got critical acclaim he first, the first time he does it he, he goes to the Richard Griffiths character who he thinks is the actor who's forgotten the lines but he's mm. a very capable actor and then pat, pats himself on the back for a time travel deed well done, then realises he's wrong, has to go back into the cupboard, help Richard E. Grant, the, the, the real bad actor, uh, remember his lines. Mm. Um, it's quite and, a nice misdirection there. Like That is actually quite well done. Yeah, I agree, because you, you, you do think that's, that's job done. He's, he's, he's saved the day. But then in true British sitcom, mis- major misunderstanding style, um, then it all, it all comes crashing down around him. But whatever he does on that night, it takes him away from the date, which he only really realizes quite a bit afterwards, I think. He's avoided meeting the, the love of his life. As a, as a first sort of proper dilemma, it's quite a gentle one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a nice, nice sort of dilemma to have, like a nice problem and sort of maybe he's still very much like feeling his way into the whole sort of time travel thing and isn't wanting to go sort of too hard on it he's like remaining sort of somewhat cautious and not wanting to kind of do anything too big or too rash and it's just yeah he he hasn't got to the sort of stage where he's kind of it feels like he's abusing his power which sort of comes more with the sort of protracted courtship of mary where uh, it just feels like he's just constantly rehashing and going again yeah so let's talk about that because we've got we've got a couple of strands there haven't we we've got the the relationship between him and mary his sister kit kat who is as she described the faller of the mm. family mm-hmm. the one who stumbles and everyone has to pick up the pieces for the bill nye father character who i think is named james in the credits but never actually given a name really other than dad so you've got those those three different relationships there now the the bill nye one is i would argue probably the most straightforward they both can time travel therefore their relationships i think is probably one of the most interesting things in the film because it's you he can actually go back and chat with his dad who 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 dies towards the end of the film um and and still maintain a living speaking interactive relationship with someone who he knows has passed on at a certain point in the future which I found was really interesting 
part of the film. Yeah, no, I I thought that was that was quite nice, especially when it sort of there comes that really sad, poignant moment where it's later on and he Bill Nighy uh, realizes that this is like the last goodbye, or that the funeral is happening, and they you know they sort of have to say goodbye to one another. And I think it's quite nice because in all of this film, I mean, it's like a like. Tim, the main character, does a series of nice little things, but they never do anything bigger for like goodness of mankind, like the scale of their ambition. Him and his father is quite small. But then there's, there's something really quite beautiful about how his father, his dad says that, you know, money won't make you happy. It drove one of their relatives mad. Power won't make you happy. It drove another relative mad. And he eventually sort of happens on his own formula for happiness, which he shares with uh, Tim. But the very fact that at some point the dad must have realized that he was going to die. I don't know if the, the illness is made explicit. I just assumed it was maybe cancer. Um, I think it was lung cancer. Um, and he's obviously at some point made a choice and he even talks about it, but he retired early to just spend more time with his family. So he, his sort of way of making the best of his time travel power was just to sort of, he obviously must have gone back and relived a huge portion of his life knowing at the point at which he was going to die, which would change anybody's outlook on life massively, plan everything around that and just focused on the one thing that made him truly happy, which was his family, and trying to maximise that time. Because for me, that's that's really the really interesting philosophical core of the the film, and where for me it's the the the, the success of it is the other stuff around it is kind of a bit messy. While she focuses on the two time travelling characters and the fact that they're very conscious of their own ability to do that, you get this real interesting philosophy come off the back of it that grows quite nicely throughout the film because Tim begins to realise this as his own life plays out and his own experiences through time travel. Some of the sort of philosophical sort of notes that it touched on when I was thinking about it, the ability to like correct a series of mistakes in your life. And I mean, Tim ends up reliving every day as part of... Uh, his father's advice for how to like how to like the formula for happiness you live every day normally and then you go back and you relive that day as in the perfect version of yourself knowing exactly how it's all going to play out you correct all the sort of micro mistakes that you make along the way and so every day is almost perfect so it's sort of a very fake artificial way of living because life, you know, in a sense is about making mistakes. A lot of the time that's how we learn and we grow as people. So if you don't allow a lot of these mistakes which he's correcting on the fly to happen, then who knows how many doors you're closing and how much personal growth and development you're actually shutting off because you're kind of editing your life and you're obviously editing your life in a way that you think it's very blinkered and you're on a path that works for you. But that's that's typically not how life works. Life is like this meandering mess where you just go off in tangents like this one I'm on right now. That was powerful stuff, my friend. Like I, I you know, I can't, I'm, I'm cutting onions as we speak. Uh, so whether it's, whether it's that or your, you know, eulogy there, I, um, that was powerful stuff, but I, I agree. You know, this this is the last this is the last film that I actually cried at. I'm going to say that now. There's this hey, one. There's this one moment we'll talk about a bit later, which just is like, 
it's, it just get it just gets you and it's it's got real real emotional heart when it's talking about the, the father son i'm the first son in a family um i don't, I don't know about your experience but like my, it, it sort of chimed a little bit you know my dad's not as good as bill nye but um Hey, you, you know, don't you be talking Brian down. Yeah, Brian's a lovely man. He is, he is. You're lucky, he lucky is. to have him. Uh, he's my silver medal. Um, <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, Martin, <laughs> Martin is my wooden spoon. <laughs> Shout out to Martin and uh, all, all, the, all the dads out there. Mm. I was just, just going to say, just to sort of bring it back, um, to add to my little sort of outburst. And, and this is something that's touched on in the film with, uh, with Tim trying to fix his sister who she yeah, admittedly she's the one who falls she's like fundamentally a broken person and he like he keeps trying to sort of fix her and in a way it does kind of like work out not in the way that he probably anticipated and in the way he does try to fix her actually ends up screwing him over and uh killing a child inadvertently in a time travel sense but some things are broken and can't be fixed talking about those kind of not making mistakes and so not going in certain directions in your life in tim's example he's got this amazing initial story where he meets mary the weird pitch back eating in the dark which i think we could do a whole podcast on how this cell system works how do you order food how is the food delivered to you is it pitch black the entire time you let him by a blind man you're led in by a blind man. Like, there's just so many <laughs> questions to be asked here. But it's a really beautifully, quite original for its time idea and the way that it's all sort of portrayed. Because there's long sequences where it's just black and you just get like audio snippets and there's quite like, like witty banter flying backwards and forth. And it's a really nice, perfect meeting story. And because he tries to fix Harry's play mishap, he's completely lost this. This is gone. He'll be the only one that remembers this. And so he ends up doing this kind of weird stalker thing where he basically steals her off another man, like ends what could have been a beautiful relationship with somebody else and does it in a really quite creepy, stalkerish way. Well, this is why I mentioned we're supposed to follow him as an adorable British charming affable man with this emotional journey that he goes on and is this philosophy he develops but he does some pretty shitty things he does game like, theory on her i didn't realize this until i rewatched it but when they're at the party and she's like moping in by the window he actually um games her he removes her from the situation places her into a situation that he can control where he can be 1v1 with her it's uh, it's straight out of the uh, the the game playbook right there and it's a pretty dick move like she's meant to be at a party and he's just like made her bin it off and stopped her meeting what could have been the love of her life so yeah rupert's rupert's pied off pretty quickly he's a character who's she was supposed to meet at this party but then tim time travels and intervenes right yeah you time travel um, cock blocks you know you can talk about no butterfly effect all you like but you know you're, you're wrong bill i'm afraid that's uh that seems like a pretty big deal with cat the the relationship is to stop her meeting Jimmy Kincaid, who is Tim thinks is the bad influence in her life. Yeah, he's kind of like uh, I'm trying to think of a, like a, a good character who's like a likeness. For some reason, I went to Danny Zuko, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that just like dates me or uh, I just can't. Think. You know, he's just your sort of archetypal dickhead boyfriend character who just sort of 
leads the uh, female protagonist down a, a, a dark path. Yeah, see, this is where I have a, I have a problem with Tim because he's like, he, like, he's not that much better at times. I mean, let, let's get into the sort of ethics of the, the, the time travel of it. He, there's two things he does which are pretty, pretty serious. Okay, so you, you, you watch this with your, with your partner. She, she obviously had some interesting commentary on their first meeting of yeah, Mary, yeah, she, and Mary and Tim in particular. She she had a fair bit to say. Yeah, so not only has he been a bit of a dick to Rupert, not only has he like massively cock-blocked her and game-theoried Mary, the first night that they get together, they end up doing the business. Having For one reason or another, I think it's because he wants like the perfect opener like the, per- the perfect first shag, if you will. So he basically goes back in time multiple times to basically just keep getting his, uh, perfecting his uh, his techers and having a wonderful night of passion or whatever. I mean, having, I- having definitely nailed it first time, I, I, I can't empathise with this, this situation, you know? It's, uh, it's... it's not something that I could, I could relate to. <clears throat> I mean... As the smouldering man mountain of uh, toxic masculinity that you are, you're not wrong. This is true. <laughs> Guilty as charged. You sex pot here. The problem that crops up here is kind of one of the issue of consent. Because he's, uh, and this I guess could be applied across their entire relationship, because he's effectively continuously lying to her. Because she has no knowledge of all the... Uh, the do-overs and all the repetitions and everything that's happened before and he's corrected it or whatever. It does raise alarming sort of issues of consent with him just time traveling back in time and having sex with her again, knowing loads about her and stuff. And she isn't aware that any of this is going on and she hasn't consented to this sort of behavior. It puts on quite sort of rocky ground and it kind of glosses over it in a kind of, oh, wouldn't that be a wonderful, like, wouldn't we all do that lads, eh? Locker room banter, like we'd all do it, wouldn't we? Yeah, and we've only shown him do it the once. How many times does he do stuff like this? We can't assume every time we see him time travel, that's how many times he's time traveled. Yeah, I don't think it's like a, it's, uh, the quota is uh, kept uh, recorded throughout the film. There'd be, it, would be the, it would be a lifelong film if that was the case, because there'd just be so many sort of really mundane, trivial Bernard's watch moments where, like a, I don't know, a pigeon chat on him and it's like, ah, oh, crap. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> something lame like that. There's a cutting room floor somewhere uh, with, uh, with this pigeon scene. There's like a, a, a slightly weird um, hole in that scene as well. So during that sort of first shag scene, he makes this joke that um, presumes he's tired. But then, you know, how can he be tired if he's like time traveled back again? And it's kind of this, like, it's it's a selective thing when he time travels with his sister and then time travels back to the present day. She weirdly, through this power of osmosis, suddenly just knows that she's in a relationship with Jay. Yet somehow... Tim has no idea that suddenly his baby isn't the same baby anymore because he's fundamentally altered the past and the butterfly effect has kicked in and now his daughter is someone else and he freaks out and has to go back in time again. Yeah, well, this, like- this, is where, this is where the whole, that element of the, the cat's story causes real problems. I mean, even if this whole weird Me Too consent thing didn't exist in the film unintentionally, the, the idea that she has, if she mentally time travels, this is where I'm going to send myself cross-eyed, if she mentally time travels, what does that mean stuff has physically happened within those decades in between uh, without Tim's knowledge? Because Tim doesn't seem to know that they got together with 
with Jay, and also um, in in the, the whole. See, I'm getting confused by just talking about it. The, the whole think, idea. I think I get the, what you the, mean. The, the sort of mental and physical world seem to be very separate in the like, time travel. With all the sort of going back in time and stuff and changing things and whatnot, as for time traveling protagonist you are going to end up tying your head in knots with what is and what isn't reality anymore because you're going to have so many you instances. Drive yourself, isn't it? You would. You'd have so many instances of like, but did I change that? Is that how it is now? Would you just forget the, the sort of past that you've altered and just gets brought up to speed on what all the different minutiae changes are? Or are you just going to have to fit into your head all these competing time travel universes and somehow just act normally and, and and get it and know what's going on. I think in this film, it just is a given that you just kind of get the updates and maybe the past gets deleted conveniently. And in all this, he erases a child from existence, like without a second thought. Like is I know it, he loves I know he loves Posey, his 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 first child. He wants he doesn't want to erase Posey from existence. I but... think he loves Posey more than anyone's ever loved anything in the world, and I'm including my love of cheese in this. That is a time traveling sequel I want to see about about cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's literally, but it's going to be the Bernard's watch of uh, of of time travel with cheese thrown in for good measure. I, I always thought that a good prequel would be to see the, the Bill Nye version of this, see see his life. I've, I, in some ways, I think that might be a better film. If they could sort of do it with some really slick overlap with uh, About Time and give it another witty pun-infused title, then yeah, I'd be all for it. Tim, he's a nice he's a nice guy, he does nice things, but he, he does, like we say, he does some pretty ethically weird, oh, this is not my child, therefore it has, I'll deny its existence. Um, yeah. I won't own up to the responsibility of what I've done. Yeah, the whole thing with uh, the the consent issue of having sex at will, um, completely un- having the perfect system to kind of con somebody into doing it as well. Yeah, I mean, whether they did that intentionally when they wrote that, I, I don't know. But there, there are articles out there that said, look, this is the problem with, with about time. The whole their whole relationship is predicated on on lies, isn't it? Like at no point does Mary either tweak or find out that. He has this amazing time traveling ability. He shares the ability with his sister, which also opens a can of worms because how come just by holding hands, she gets to go back in time? I thought it was only the men that got to go back in time. So that's a bit questionable as well. But yeah, like, I mean, just the whole like staking out the Kate Moss exhibition. It's just, I know it's meant to be played for sort of laughs and being all sort of like charmingly befuddled and foppish and awkward. But it just comes across like really like creepy, like so manipulative. And, you know, in his mind, he's he's not doing anything wrong. There's, there's almost not even a moment where he sort of thinks, you know, hold on a second. Am I actually being a dick? And we've all done questionable things in our lives, but. This just feels like surely there'd just be a part of you that would just cringe inside and be like, oh, am I saying these things? Am I doing this? Am I going to go through with this? They almost try and hide this in between him staying faithful. Like that's the redeeming characteristic when he's, he's given the opportunity to um, you know, oh, go on on. Good foot and do the bad thing with Margot Robbie, which only bins her off. He gets very close, though. 
he's, he's, he's outside our room, isn't he? isn't he? Yeah, he's he's on he's right there. Like you know, he's uh, he's a cup of coffee away from uh, doing uh, the horizontal shuffle. And also, it's kind of compounded more because he becomes like a lawyer or a barrister. So you know, right and wrong is it's not a blurred line for him. He he knows what the differences are, like and legally as well. It kind of underscores how unethical his behaviour really is. about that. It's Chris's second trunk. Thank you for listening. This is kind of a criticism I think that's quite often leveled at uh, Richard Curtis is that when it comes to sort of drawing female characters they're quite limited in the imagination of their sort of genesis and, and they're just quite sort of shallow poorly drawn characters. Uh, we talked earlier on about the uh, the parallels between this and like Four Weddings, for example, um, and Notting Hill as well, you know, the, the sort of bumbling posh male lead, the American girl, the messed up sister, the weird uncle. Like, There's a lot of characters that crop up a lot. So he doesn't seem to have an awful lot of range. And he's admitted apparently in interviews that he draws his characters from real life. So I don't know if that means just his sphere of influence in his social circle is quite limited um it would kind of suggest as much but I, yeah i want to focus more um on the female has he left west london there's a has he ever left west london has he strayed out of notting hill and did he get a nosebleed did, would he he's the kind of guy who would live in notting hill and not go to the carnival he would conveniently 100%. always be on holiday at carnival weekend and if he met anyone whilst he was on holiday he would go on about how awful Carnival was and how he once accidentally ended up in it and it was the worst experience of his life. There might also be some casual racism thrown in for good measure. I mean, this film, I looked it up because I was interested and it just, just passes the Bechdel test for one line of dialogue, which is pretty awful. And not the dialogue itself, but the fact that it, there is basically one line of dialogue between the mum and uh mary where uh i think it's what the mum does not get enough screen time because she has some great witty lines and she basically on meeting uh mary says that she's pretty but not too pretty because being too pretty means you won't develop much of a personality um and i think that line qualifies it um for passing the bechdel test so part of that being that two female characters uh, are there two female characters and do they talk about anything else other than the male lead so skin of its teeth it's just past that one so feminists stand down for the moment don't because of all the uh, inherent me too problems that this also poses we're we, we fly the feminist flag high proud um i'm not afraid to say i am a feminist and mr Karlberg, i i believe you probably identify the same I, I, in Spartacus style, I am a feminist. Fantastic. Feminist, paleontologist, northern man. This man's got so much range. It's also kind of sexist that also any of the men uh, can do the time traveling. And just generally, the, the characters, like if you take Kit Kat, for example, she is basically um, what could be termed as the manic pixie dream girl. She's not really a realistic character. She's not someone you'd really sort of encounter in real life. She's kind of this fictionalized, slight male fantasy of what a woman could be. Sort of very erratic, artsy, creative, 
sort of sexy pixie um sort of character airy fairy not really sort of rooted in reality um and mary as well doesn't really have an awful lot of depth like we find out that she works in publishing and she reads a lot of books she's kind of witty but there's just not a lot else there's not a lot of sort of depth same with like charlotte although charlotte's character probably backs that up in that she's not especially nice especially to tim um and then the mum criminally does not get anywhere near enough screen time so um mary's friend who's this it girl type i forget her name Oh yeah, well, is that the the brief meeting? Do you mean or yeah? So she she turns up at their their wedding and um, she originally is on that the day in the dark with with Jay initially. Oh, um, the sort of get... like the sort of horsey posh one. Yeah, there's a, a posh West London type it girl. Yeah, got you. She's also um, at the uh, stakeout at the uh, Kate Moss exhibition. She's the too pretty girl, right? Uh, as a counterpoint. To, to Mary being the, the kind of ideal woman for Tim. Yeah, the kind of girl um, next door. Wholesome girl next Wholesome American girl next door. I hear what you're saying about the way the female characters are drawn, but there are some very, very flat, just to play devil's advocate, sort of male characters as well. So you've got like Harry, who we mentioned, who is a, you know, just a grump. And then... Uh, well, I, I think Tom, Tom, Holland, just... Tom Holland's uh, performance kind of almost more than makes up for uh, for that as a sort of stereotypical character but let's not let's not do judgment too soon that's for later on i think a character that we you wanted to touch on that hasn't got any airtime so far in the pod is uh rory would you care to uh character assassinate him well he's just an idiot isn't he he's just, he's just <laughs> how has that man survived like i can assume he's gone through law school how because I, I, at one point he, he the the line is it's like and you are whilst he's meeting somebody and he goes, fine, thank you. This is his response to, to, to answering his name. Like it's, it's the. It beggars belief, just, doesn't it? It's amazing. He can tie his own shoelaces the way he goes on. Um, and he's, you know, he he's one of the time travel scenes is who does Tim, does Tim and Mary get married? Do you, who do they choose for the, uh, best, best man, man speech? speech? Um, culminating in Bill Nye being the perfect, his, his own father being the perfect candidate because he's the one who can express this love and knows him the best because he can time travel and spend so much time with him. You know, Harry's given a go and just swears and slags everybody off. Uh, Jay, um, another very sort of flat character, is, is just called a moron constantly throughout and just has this real crass uh, speech. And then Rory and... Um, but he's he's almost like he, a more in sort of like more intense version of Tim. He's kind of like charmingly befuddled, has been like cranked up, and then they've like banged him over the head a few times to make sure he's got like a minor brain <laughs> brain injury. He's a very British idiot, isn't he? He's a Tim nice but dim. Yeah, uh, he's like a buffoon. For sure. Um, so yeah, the, you know Harry, Rory, Jay. There are very it's flat characters, isn't it? And yeah, women it's, in it's, particular represent a very, very. They're more important in the story, which is probably the than, than the male characters I've just mentioned. Well, it's kind of like um, they basically exist to just allow the male characters to do their thing. They're kind of like a counterpoint 
they're just sort of there to sort of cheerlead them on or sort of slightly hold them to account, although that doesn't really happen apart from the mum. They're just sort of there to sort of bit of window dressing, really. They're not actors of their own volition. They're just very much there to aid the narrative arcs of the male protagonists. It's hard to say whether there are any particularly rounded characters in, in this. I mean, Tim... Tim's pretty dull. Yeah, he's pretty one note, isn't he? I mean, um, Bill, Bill Nighy's probably the closest thing to a real person. And even he's kind of basically just playing Bill <laughs> Yeah, he just likes himself. Now, Jim's the second trope. Yeah, so this, it kind of brings me to my, my last trope. And then we've got to try and shake this thing down. Is this idea of didactic narrative in layman's terms having a a moral, the moral of the story, if you like, in true Aesop's fable style? You've alluded to it a little bit already. All the while, you've got these moral debates or ethical debates that Tim has to navigate on the way to achieving perfect happiness. And I, it, it struck me very closely that it. it it's similar if you're thinking about what a good example of didactic narrative is the idea of Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, hmm. how he in, in similar ways is, is, is taken back to points in his past and present and future and shown what his life was like and how, where, where he's going wrong. Of course, he's, he's given the opportunity to, to go back to the point where he left off on Christmas Day. However, in this one, you get these sometimes unintentional ethical things like the the sex scenes as well as you know if you could sacrifice a moment in time to help a good friend would you do it and how can you be happy you know when you have this opportunity and this ability i think the idea that him being a lawyer and is, is supposed to be the idea that he's a successful person in his own right um therefore he's got these opportunities yet he doesn't seem happy with what he's got through various points in the film we're shown where there's bits where he's getting pissed off with the how he's got to wait for a coffee at Pret-a-Manger and how he's got to listen to the guy next to him on the train playing his, uh, his air guitar through the, um, the headphones. As you said, when he relives the, the day, he gets more of an appreciation for life. And then the ending is that pretty much stops trying traveling altogether, doesn't he? The idea is that he's living his best life constantly. He's trying to live in that moment and be the best version of him based on everything that uh, he's learned thus far. He's kind of come out the other side and he's actually built upon, or he's not, he's tried his father's formula, which I'm guessing his father used until the day he died. And he's kind of found his own approach, which is just not time travel, which almost seems like a waste of a gift in the end. I know we're meant to get this, oh, if only we could all be more like this. If only we could all just be more mindful and live in the moment and be our best selves. You know, you wouldn't just stop time traveling. You'd definitely still flirt with it. You would definitely, definitely, when something really shit happened, you'd just be like, you know what, bugger this. I'm getting in a cupboard and I'm going back. Well, we, we talked about what you do. I mean, it's like the Back to the Future primer sort of, would you play the stock market? Would you put a massive bet on something but have to, you know, eliminate some of the, the more, they, they debate through this whether to have more children or they can afford it and things like that. I mean, that they, they could have been, some of these problems could have been sorted with a heartbeat with fairly little ethical problems involved with them. Could we you just know, touch upon that? 
the that scene I found quite problematic in that he just buried his father. I can own like my partner has had the same like lost her father and it's emotionally destroys people from what I've heard um people talk about it. Like it is a really heart wrenching, life altering process. And for some reason Mary just gets a bee in her bonnet about having children and thinks that's just gonna make everything fine. It's just like give the man some time to grieve. He's just buried his dad. He doesn't want to have another kid. Leave him alone. It's just like, it just seems really, really ridiculous as a thing. It's like, don't, don't worry about your dad. Let's have another kid. Weirdly, that didn't occur to me. Didn't occur to me probably because of the time travel shifts that were going on that that was happening in chronological sequence. So you're absolutely right. Like that just, it's just like a couple of days after whilst they're just having a casual a drink cup of tea. tea. Let's have another one. I mean, he rightly calls her out. He's kind of like, I uh, don't think, I'd, maybe we should come back to this. And she's just, a normal person would be like, all right, sorry, pitch, got, read the room wrong, pitched that one at the wrong time. We'll shelve that. Like, she just runs with it until she gets what she wants. So it's just like, is she just baby mad? Is she like, just got baby mania? Is that all she is? Like a breeding machine slash publisher. Even if, I mean, she doesn't know that he can time travel and she doesn't know about the dilemma that Tim faces, which involves if he goes back before the birth of his first or the birth of his children, then he can, even though he does it anyway, he can never see his father again is the eventual conflict in the time travel um, that happens afterwards. So even without that, asking asking him to do that at that point is pretty pretty heavy handed <laughs> and i can see why that would cause big 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 problems i suppose this brings us to scoring this thing now i just quickly thought of another thing as well like uh they're just the weird relationships between like him and like he trusts his sister enough to take her back in time but at no point does he trust his own wife who apparently he's besotted with to share his dirty little secret or take her back in time bit of favoritism there for me bit weird it would create a lot of questions it would and we haven't got <laughs> we've got enough <laughs> questions to answer at this juncture shall we get on with the scoring good sir the name's connery sean connery and you are listening to the trope stomers podcast subscribe don't be a pushy this is going to be a bit of a beast to try and tackle um, but if we try and stick to the tropes that we've got so i initially said the adorable brit um so what are we judge what are we judging this on? Because like other Dorkable Brits that are good, like as Dorkable Brit as a narrative plot device, is it ever a good thing? Is it not sort of like always a bit hackneyed and a bit sort of stereotypical? Kind of like having Germans who are really efficient or French people who are a bit lazy. Well, I mean, a lot of the heart of this film relies on the fact that it's I suppose it's quite a, a British trait that we're, we like to keep a stiff upper lip. Um, you know, we don't, we don't like to be seen, I don't think, as a nation to make mistakes or as a, you know, people in general. The idea that you, you kind of, whatever life throws at you, you keep calm and carry on. To throw time travel into the mix where you can alter that sequence. I suppose in that sense, the idea that this is this awkward British middle-class man who then has this extra thing of time travel on top is, is, is the idea is that it could be played as an interested contrast for laughs. I think it's a bit overplayed, you know, the American parents and the fact that Mary's con- uh, character is, is such a contrasting character to, and the other characters are really quite flat around him. I do you think that it, 
it, it sticks out a little bit like a sore thumb and because maybe it's it's victim of having very similar films preceding it um but him just being a kind of nice british man clumsy muddling I think it is a bit sort of hackneyed. It's a bit too on the nose. And then when they try and they use that to try and hide all these kind of horrible things that he, he actually ends up doing. Yeah. Um, so I the, don't think the filmmakers are considered. Don't, don't, um, I, don't, I think, don't focus on, uh, on these awkward little things like consent and me too. Look, look how charmingly befuddled he is. He, look, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He's, he's ginger for God's sake. Look at him. He's, he's struggling to get through life as it is. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, that child wasn't that old. Oh, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it had barely yeah. started to live. It wouldn't have known. So I think they try and it's it's a bit of a negative. I think so. I, we can't score it positively on the adorable Brit because it's leaned in too heavily, in my opinion, uh, and he does some pretty horrific things. Mm. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, uh, a much nastily written character wouldn't wouldn't get away with. If he had like a, a waxed moustache that he twiddled, and uh, he would uh, very much be hated upon. The timey wimey hokey time travel element yes. of it. What do you think start going on there in terms of the scoring for that? I, I, I'm just gonna um, go on a, a mini tangent here. I realise I've I've pulled a few ginger punch, a few cheap shot ginger punches on, uh, so far on the pod, and I just want to. Uh, I understand that uh, for a lot of people. Uh, anti-ginger sentiment is like the last bastion of uh, racism and I'm fully on board and love ginger people to the point where my girlfriend is basically ginger just want to just want to clear that up uh, there I'm not I'm not a hater don't don't be hating on me mine isn't uh, ginger but do not color my um, opinion on, on that based based on that fact uh, right and back to it um, right so yes for the timey-wimey let me wave around my sonic screwdriver. Don't pay too much close attention to the science. Uh, look over there. Look, it's time travel. Oh, things are happening. Obviously, time travel, you have to suspend your disbelief. To the best of my knowledge, we I haven't seen any flying DeLoreans. I haven't seen a DeLorean yet that can do 88 miles an hour downhill with the wind behind it. Let alone, oh, oh. oh, let alone fly. So, you know, I mean, obviously time travel is like a crazy concept. It's kind of quite off the wall as a, as a narrative device, full stop. But there's ways of doing it. And I think to kind of, if they'd been like carried, like they started Blase, here's the rules. Don't worry about it too much. If they'd just sort of adhered to their own rules and worked within that framework, without like basically going off piste and starting to actually pick holes in their own setup that would have been fine but it's just kind of the more you dig the more things kind of don't make sense or i mean it's not just even like big paradoxical stuff it's more just kind of like you know that's just they just haven't thought this through like they haven't taken they'd ask, that, they'd ask this question they would ask all these other questions about if like Kit Kat for instance if she were able to find out her family could time travel what has happened in, and she, she seems quite knowledgeable of the fact that her life has completely changed and is fine with it uh, once she comes back she's just like oh I love Jay and oh, okay. as if she's fully cognizant of the time before as well Right. Does that mean she's forgotten about Jimmy? It seems that when you time travel, you take the knowledge with you of your, your previous existence. Yeah, so, so I guess you'd then be able to have a context and establish a baseline. But then then that also sort of creates that problem we talked about earlier of like, you're going to end up like having like cognitive overload. You're just going to have so 
your brain's just going to start unraveling because you're just aware of so many competing timeline scenarios and histories that did and didn't happen technically. Uh, I think in its defense, I think the, the sort of that central conceit of father passes and a son mourns his passing, but then you've got that as a stage of grief, struggling to let go, therefore he uses his, that's the, his biggest use of time travel, I think in it is to keep that contact with his father or until his first child is born. I think that's a really interesting concept and whether, whether the, the sort of pseudoscience or science of it stacks up, I think as an idea that he's got to ultimately let go, he's got to sacrifice his ability to travel to a certain time until he does, which is where I think that's where the problem is because he, they go back together to share a moment. Um, I think that's the defense of it, but I think you're right. It kind of has all this fluff around it relinked to the other love stories within it that take away from that a little bit. Well, that's a moment that really, really struck a chord uh, with me and, and clearly with a lot of people as well. Is it interesting and good enough to, to sort of get past all the other stuff? I don't know, because if you go for a good time travel film, like obviously all time travel films are going to have holes in, especially if you start picking at them and pulling on certain threads, things will start to sort of unravel in one sort of form or another. We said about cheese before, didn't we? This mm. is looking very, very it's Swiss. A bit Swiss, yeah. Whereas, you know, a, sort of a great film like uh, Back to the Future, let's say, yeah, that has problems and flaws, but it'd probably be a bit more like a nice brie. You know, you might apply some pressure and it will kind of still hold together. Brie to the future. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Any cheese-based time travel puns, send them in. Please do. I love a cheese. I'm all about a cheese joke. I mean, with the whole the stuff we talked about, like consent and Me Too as well, and just sort of how the, the women are sort of just there, act as a bit window dressing and aren't particularly realistic. I mean, like you said, a lot of the characters aren't realistic. And, I mean, I don't think that kind of acts as a defense. I think that just means overall the sort of writing for the characters is quite sort of weak um and kind of one-dimensional in this kind of curtis world setup so so for me that's i I struggle to look the other way on this one wow that's uh i thought we were going to get it with the 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 bill nye kind of moment i'm gonna i'm gonna come come back to that a little bit and and try and try and rescue the situation a little bit um but we're we're not scoring anything so far for, for poor old about time so far, it's, it's kind of sounding a bit a bit bad. And the thing is, once I mean, I don't hate this film. The first time I watched it, I was kind of swept away by the charmingness of it all. And it's only on this sort of rewatch with 2020 eyes that uh, I kind of noticed some things that sort of weren't so palatable. Maybe that's just sort of a transition of time and having a, a, diff- a slightly different head on me. Um, but yeah, by no means do I. Ha- I mean, I still think there's some great moments in this. I, I don't think it's a a bad film per se. It's just uh, got some evident flaws. I'm gonna stamp my put my foot down here. Put my time traveling didactic narrative foot down here. All right, all uh, right. You do. I've you. got big big ones. However, we get there. The message at the end of this is quite good and quite well explored because. If what what really holds it together, and I've, it's a thread I've I've, I've pulled out and, and stuck with, I think, throughout this podcast, is that the the the, the central father son story is what really makes a, a good film, an enjoyable film. The Mary and Tim love story is kind of a side. I mean, the meat of this is the relationship between him and his father. 
And I know the babies, the babies are there to kind of explore this idea that you can't go back. Um, but it's film, isn't it? You could have contrived any other different thing. It didn't have to involve sperm or whatever they say halfway through the the film. So I think I'm kind of talking myself out of this, aren't I? Um, the, the, <laughs> you, I can't, you rode in strong. You're like, you steamed in on your like white horse and then uh, you kind of tried to, tried to pull out. I will say for this, it does, in, in doing this, it does, there's a lot of nice little montages in this film. You know how we love a, we love a montage here on Trope Stormers? Daily life, the, the, the sequence where lives the first, he lives the, the first day and then the second day. The mise-en-scene in the scene is all really quite um, accurate to the, the one previously. Um, and they, they, they look really similar. The, the experience is very similar. The, the actors around him act very similarly to the one they do before. It's just that Tim's reaction to his life is, is different. So based on those montage sequences, I am going to give it a consolation in off the arse, own goal, <laughs> consolation goal. Bubbles enough me shin, Nick. I'll do the Geordie impressions around here. Uh, <laughs> it's looking like a three to one against for about time. And mm. I guess this this Richard Curtis focused effort. I like this film. I, I think it's I think it's got some real good things about it. I really like the, as I've emphasised, I think the central core of it. Um, We've done it again, haven't we? In terms of trope storming, it's you know I guess it that it it, it is this. It's these twenty twenty eyes. If you come back to things and you, you scrutinise them enough, then some of the holes are bigger than others, and some of them are quite quite fatal with with the, the the film where where this podcast is concerned so there you go hey there about you have time it. you're about dystropia i'm afraid uh, uh, uh. yeah so i mean obviously we've uh, we've applied our wholly unscientific and definitely unpatented uh scoring system to this to come out with a dystropian verdict what do you think, dear listener? Do you agree with us? Do you think we're wrong? Are we wrong? We don't think we're wrong, but you might think we're wrong. I think I've just tied my own head in knots since it's gone cross-eyed. It's all the time travel, mate. It gets you like that. It really does, doesn't it? Hmm. Well, uh, if you do want to get in touch with us, and we would dearly love to hear from you, uh, you can get uh, involved on the social medias uh, at Trotestormers. And we also have an email address, which is tropestormers at gmail.com. Excellent. Yeah. That was the first time I did the email. Sorry, I brushed over that, didn't I? I, kind I, of did, it, just I did it like a boss. Cause normally, normally I like make you do that because I can never, I don't, I, yeah, I, I made myself learn what it was. It's only taken I'll, 10 I'll, put, I'll put some echo in on the edit or something like that. Make it sound really, uh, really evocative. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and check us out on we're at Trope Stormers on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. We've got uh, a website. So we've, we've got a sparkly website. We have. We've got the Space Jam esque BrianStormers.net where we share that with our uh, sister, or I should probably say father podcast, um, The Half Life nice. of Brian as well, which I do uh, a history podcast with my, my dad as well. So go check that out on there. And uh, what what have we got up next? We're, we're going to look at some. We've got uh, a storm how, and a tea break. How um, how how big reveal are we going on this? Like, do we do we let our dear listener in on 
on the plan going forwards um or you know how much how much do we give away well just a little bit of sizzle you know little elevator pitch get them get excited they are our audience they are the producers cheeky cheeky We've got to try and impress. i like that okay uh all right so uh my esteemed colleague jim carberg and i had a bit of a think put our heads together and we thought it would be quite uh, quite a nice because at the moment we've kind of flip-flopped about uh, i'm not gonna lie the podcast has kind of evolved over time um quite nicely i feel um i hope you feel the same way too we enjoy putting them together immensely um it's a good laugh uh, especially in these sort of slightly crazy times uh and yeah we flip-flopped around because we've covered all manner of uh different sort of movies genres um styles of movie and we thought it'd be quite nice to try and weave in a bit more of a, a thread almost like a narrative thread to sort of tie things together a little bit more almost like we're kind of uh giving our podcast a story arc and uh what we're looking to do is continue with our uh film bolt film bolt kind of um formula and what we're looking to do is do a series of films that are in ways thematically linked and then use the bolts that sandwich the films to make a bridge of those thematic links a bolt bridge sandwich bridge yeah have i explained that well i don't know i'm still slightly cross-eyed <laughs> yeah so i mean next next up we've got one of our um our, our bolts or our storms in a storms in a tea break or lunch break depending on how long they are um the last one was quite the one if prior to this podcast is about time travel so it's a good one to listen to um if you haven't done so already because it gives and, you a lot of uh, background on the different yeah. theories it's kind of uh, like a, a little little warning it's kind of like the podcast equivalent of a magic eye you know you, you're just gonna have to sort of yeah. Cross out. Yeah, you're not. You might not see a dolphin. You might have a some kind of episode instead. But uh, you know, by and large, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. Um, yeah. So up next, we've got a bolt or a. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, 80s action hero, my good man. The 80s action hero, which is a very specific type of protagonist as made famous by several muscular 80s actors. And I think uh, we'll, we'll leave it there as a little bit of sizzle because you can probably gather what illustrious names will be involved in that. I mean... Let's just, just say we'll be back. Get me to the chopper. Ah, okay. Well, I guess well. that, just, uh, that just leaves us to, uh, to once again, as we always say, say goodbye. Jesus, man. (laughs) (laughs) Take it away, Jim Carver. So that leaves us once again uh, just to say goodbye. And as we always say here on Trope Stormers, bugger this, I'm getting in a cupboard. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.